Amen. There's a lot in that um, old hymn. Well, Jesus resurrection impacts every life in these last days of the church age, which is from his first coming until his second coming, in other words, between his two advents. And perhaps the greatest benefit of the resurrection of Jesus is that all people may now experience full and total healing in his name. We're all born broken. We are all walking contradictions, capable of acting inconsistently. Now, as difficult as physical imperfections in our body can be, the fragmenting of our inner being which leads us into behaving in ways that are contradictory with what we say we believe, that is even worse. In fact, read Romans 7 and Paul's struggle with this. Now, the first act of the apostles, after 3,000 more disciples had been added, to the number of Jesus on Pentecost Sunday was the complete healing of a man who had been lame for the more than 40 years of his life. Now, um, Luke gives this account of what happened here in a long passage in Acts. It's 48 verses, and we're only considering about one-third of his account. Now, as an historian, Luke first narrated the details of what happened in that afternoon in the temple courts. He's kind of like Sergeant Joe Friday, just the facts. But after he narrates, gives a brief discussion of these facts... He gives a summary of an evangelistic gospel sermon that Peter preached that day and the aftermath. And we're only going to consider this morning the first half of that sermon. Now in it, Peter gives a story of Jesus through his resurrection. And then he says, by the faith which comes through him, through the resurrected Jesus Christ people may be made fully whole, integrated together as full human beings. So now let's dig deeper into this passage we have heard this morning. The first part is the narration of the miracle done in the name of Jesus. And we're told Peter and John were on their way to prayer in the temple. And they're asked for a merciful donation by a man who had been lame from birth. So Peter and John were going to the temple in the ninth hour of prayer. Now at this time, all Christians were Jews and living in Jerusalem. Jesus is the king of the Jews and his disciples continued to worship in Yahweh's temple. 
Now, as to the time, this was the mid-afternoon prayer meeting, nine hours after dawn. And we're told at the beginning of the next chapter, the Sadducees came after Peter had proclaimed this resurrection of Jesus, and they put Peter and John in jail because it was late in the day. It was almost evening. They couldn't do anything else with them. Now, the man who was lame from birth, we're told, he was set down every day at the beautiful gate of the temple so he could beg alms. And the word in Greek is actually the word for mercy. In other words, he wanted them in mercy to donate coins to him as they were entering deeper into the temple courts. And in his very last sentence, Luke tells us this man was more than 40 years of age. Now the gate. Um, I found a really neat diagram online of Herod's temple. Most people entered his temple through a southern gate, which entered into a broad gate uh, or courtyard from east to west where the non-Jews where the people of the nations called the Gentiles, they could congregate there. Now from this long court south of the temple complex, which had been enhanced by Herod, on the far eastern side there was an entrance into the court of the women, which had been added on to the court that the people had put in the temple when they rebuilt it after the Babylonian exile. And they think that this gate was the gate called Beautiful. So he's between the court of the nations and the court of the women. That's where he's located. And the man now seeing that Peter and John were about to enter deeper into the temple courts, he kept asking them to receive alms. So, We have to also realize the context of this. At the end of chapter 2, and you can just look up in your Bibles if they're open before you, many, many followers of Jesus said all of these followers had converted their possessions into silver and gold coins and laid them at the apostles' feet. So as stewards of so much gold and silver, If they had wanted to, and if it was the best, Peter and James could have carried some of this with them and met his financial needs. But that's not what happens. Peter gives the man three quick commands in order to give him healing in the name of the Savior. So it says, after he asked, Peter together with John fixed their gaze on this man, and Peter gave his first command, look at me. What is happening here? Well, I agree with something that I read in a commentary. This first command is very personal. As Peter was fixing his gaze on him, he was taking in this man as a person, not as a lame person, not as anything else, but as a person created in God's image. And as he gives this man attention, he's demanding the same kind of attention be returned to him. Now, he was expecting to receive something from them still. 
The very last word in this sentence, alms to receive. He was expecting coins. But what he got was much more. Remember what Paul wrote to the churches in Asia Minor around Ephesus. God is able to do super abundantly above and beyond what we can even ask or understand. And this man, 40 years old, was about to experience it. So Peter says to him, on my person right now, I am not possessing either silver or God. But what I'm having as an ongoing, continuous possession, this is what I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior Messiah from Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, this is all coming from faith in the name, uh, the person and the work. Because in Scripture and in the languages of the Bible, name Name encompassed all that a person was and all that a person does. So in the name of the Savior King, it's everything Jesus is, even now, and all that he did while he was on this earth. And when his followers use his name in the faith of him and faith in his birth, death, and resurrection, He will do miracles. So Peter's second and third commands to this man were to rise up onto your lame feet and walk. And then seizing his right hand, Peter raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Again, I got this insight from a commentary. But we can also get it from the text. Peter joined hands with this lame man, not to pull him to his feet or to heal him, but to show that he had great love for him as a man created in God's image. Because he would later say, my actions had nothing whatsoever to do with this miracle that God did in the name of his son, Jesus. And then we're told, with a leaping up, now that his feet and ankles were strengthened, he stood up and began walking. And obviously he entered the women's court, and then maybe even the court of the men outside of the temple. And he was walking, and he was leaping, and he was praising the God. We will later find out from a word that Luke uses at the end of our passage. This was a full healing of body, soul, and spirit. But again, Luke, as a good writer, has already given us a big hint. Only those with healed spirits can exuberantly praise God. But what the narration is telling us is faith that comes through the resurrected Jesus can make lame people walk. And then as this healed man is walking and leaping and praising God, the people who were there in the courts, they are filled with wonder and amazement. So it says, all the people saw him walking and praising the God. 
Now this is true. I know that we're supposed to walk by faith but not sight. But a reality is many people begin to experience God's power after they see an amazing miracle. And it says, and they were knowing that this one was the one that sat at this beautiful gate of the temple asking to receive alms. They knew his past life, and of course, all people know that men who have been lame all their lives, especially at this advanced age, do not suddenly start walking and praising God while they're leaping in the presence of God. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Now Luke, who had a large vocabulary, uses a word here that's only used twice more in Scripture and both times by Luke. When Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, Luke says that the people who rejected him even were filled with wonder at his teaching and with his power and authority to drive out unclean spirits. And then a little later, we're told that Peter and his companions, they were filled with wonder when they had this great catch of fish in broad daylight. Everyone who has ever fished knows you don't catch fish in the daylight because the sunlight through the water makes the net obvious and fish aren't going to swim into it. So this is just an amazing, wonderful miracle And healing done in the name of Jesus. True miracles done through him and his faithfulness. That amazes people. Now that he's finished with the narration, Luke tells us that all the people run to Solomon's porch and Peter preaches the gospel and explains the gift of being made whole. So we're told this healed man, he's clinging to Peter and John. And after all the people are running together, and the noun that is used to describe them is fully amazed. So while he's still clinging to Peter and John, they're running together to Solomon's porch filled with wonder again. In this diagram of the temple, I saw the women's court was at the eastern end of the area that surrounded the temple. And just outside of this eastern end, and there was a door, there was a place called Solomon's Porch, or Solomon's Colonnade in some of the translations. It was the very place in John 10 where Jesus had a confrontation with Jews concerning his teaching and the miracles that he was doing. And then a little later in the book of Acts, it's also where the apostles restored to health all who were sick and tormented by unclean spirits. And they are full of wonder as Luke is repeating what had happened and setting the stage for this sermon He uses an even stronger word than the word I've just described for their sense of wonder and amazement at this miracle done in Jesus' name. And as Peter says, we had nothing to do with it. It was all about Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus amazes people. 
So I, I love this. Peter, having seen what is happening, he replies, Israelites, why do you marvel as if by our own power we made him to walk? So when all the people run together full of wonder over this miracle, Peter seizes the opportunity to preach, just as he had done earlier at Pentecost. Now, we're only considering his explanation of what happened, what God did. When you have some time, and maybe with us being isolated so much now, read his exhortation for them to repent and be refreshed and restored to God in the verses that follow in chapter 3. But Peter says, as if by our own power or piety, we made him walk. And he says, men, Israelites, he is now talking to his fellow Israelites and saying, this has not happened because of us, because of John or myself or my extending my hand to him. And then he will now tell his fellow Israelites about the God of their fathers and his glorified servant, Messiah. And what he's really implying is be filled with wonder and awe over him. Him. So then he says, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. So now he goes back 2,000 years to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And this glorified servant was prophesied about by Isaiah. Four times in the second half of Isaiah, he talks about this servant of the Lord. And the last and greatest prophecy has five parts. The end of what we have numbered, Isaiah 52, going into 53. Let me summarize the five parts for you. This servant will teach and be lifted up, his face and appearance disfigured, and he will surely startle many nations about what they have not been told or seen. Secondly, we're told he grew up in humility, despised and rejected. Thirdly, and this is the heart of the passage in prophecy, he surely bore our griefs and sorrows because of our transgressions, but he gave us peace and healing. After we had turned away, Yahweh put our iniquity on him. Fourthly, he was quiet in his oppression. He was cut off for Yahweh's people. His grave was with the wicked because he did no violence or deceit. And here's where Peter is coming right into the present day with this prophecy. Fifthly, we're told his soul became a sin offering. He is prospering with offspring. He had justified many because he handed over his soul to death. He bore sin and handed himself over into intercession. Remember, this was the time of prayer when this all happens. So in these last two deeds, Yahweh's servant hands himself over on behalf of the very people who handed him over to death. 
So now Peter just lays it out there with total blunt honesty. He says, whom you all handed over, using the same word from Isaiah, and disowned the holy and righteous one, and you all killed, killed the author of life. So again, the words are very strong. Luke is quite good with his language. You all indeed handed him over, despising him before Pilate. And you all disown the holy and righteous one, and you ask for a murderer to be given life rather than this one. In fact, even worse than this, you ask for the murderer's life, and then you all put to death the author, the prince of life himself. So he's putting the guilt on each and every one of them. He's mincing the words. This is the reality, people. This is the reality. Each and every one of us is not right before God. And these people had totally rejected the holy and righteous one who had given, he'd come to give them life. As John tells us in his gospel, eternal life, abundant life, life full of meaning. And here's the irony. How ironic that sinful and rebellious people, people like us, could kill the one who is life in himself. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in the introduction to his gospel, Jesus talks about the word who was made flesh. And in him was life, and this life was the light of awe. But then Peter concludes, of whom? This very one, we are witnesses that God raised him from the dead. And his name and the faith that is through him has made this man totally healed. He says, we're being witnesses. God raised him from the dead. In doing this, the Trinity demonstrated wonderful power to reverse the rejection of Jesus by sinful and rebellious people. And then he says, on the faith of his name, the name of him has made strong this one that you are seeing and you are knowing. The faith is linked with the name. He says, therefore, by the faith that comes through the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrected one, and by the faith of his name. I'm going to say something here. Peter's already said it for them, but for us, for us, may we both take responsibility for his death. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And take the opportunity to be forgiven and healed by the faith that comes in his name. Faith through the resurrected Jesus makes the lame to walk and can heal any shortcomings in us. And then here is the bottom line, and this is very, very important. The faith through Jesus. The preposition that Luke uses makes it clear, makes it clear. No one can muster up faith out of our own resources. 
But let me just go back for a minute because I skipped the most important thing. It says that the faith that's through the resurrected Jesus has given total healing to this man in the presence of you all. This is a word used only once in scripture, but I looked it up as a, in, in a reference book in, in a Bible dictionary. And what's saying here is every part of this lame man was healed. I said earlier, Luke gave us a hint. His spirit was healed. His whole being, body, soul, and spirit, has been made totally healed, and this is resulting in him being complete in every way. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful word. In other words, he is now being restored back to God's image. It will be a lifelong process. It's that for all of us. When we walk and live by the faith of Jesus Christ, we're being remade in God's image more and more each day. And it won't be perfected until we see him. And this is all in addition to his feet and ankles being strengthened and the physical healing he had. Faith through the resurrected Jesus makes the lame to walk and gives so much more healing, total healing to all who receive him. Now again... As I started to say, Peter uses this wonderful preposition, the faith through Jesus. You see, I had a big misunderstanding about faith about the first five or more years that I was a Christian, and it didn't really start to come into focus until after 10 or 15 years. It's not my faith. I can never muster up in my own strength enough faith to please God. People, that is impossible. We don't have resources in ourselves. We must have God's help in his Savior Son, the faith that will enable us to walk with God in righteousness is only through the resurrected Jesus. In him, fully in him, our broken, inconsistent, and contradictory lives, our very spiritual lameness, speaking figuratively, it can be totally healed. So why I love this story so much is a specific story about a specific man, but it applies to all of us. Faith that comes through the resurrected Jesus can make the lame to walk, and more. Again, we're spiritually lame, but God alone, people, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, he is faithful. So let's just summarize this quickly. By the faith that comes through the Savior King of Nazareth and his resurrection, Peter and John raise up a 40-year-old man who had been lame from birth to give him total healing, body, soul, and spirit. And as a result, all the people were filled with amazement to the point of wonder. Faith through the resurrected Jesus makes the lame to walk, and it can give to us total healing, healing of body, soul, and spirit. That's why this is just such a wonderful time of the year. Because Jesus died for us and then rose again from the dead. 
we can be new people on the way to total healing. We can be integrated, our fragmented, broken lives made whole in the resurrected Jesus. Amen. And so let's sing as our final song a reminder that we all need to hear. It is because of God's great faithfulness that we have life in his son, Jesus Christ. Great is thy faithfulness.